Welcome back to Certain Comfort in Uncertain Times, a look at the book of Revelation. Last time we were in Revelation chapter 4 uh, with John's vision of God's throne room. John is brought up into the throne room of God and sees the magnificence of God as he is seated on his throne. And we saw that this is really the primary reality that the book of Revelation is offering to us to provide us comfort in uncertain times, that no matter what happens on earth, no matter what we are going through, we can take comfort in the fact that God is seated on his throne, ruling over all of human history. And today in Revelation chapter 5, we see a continuation of that vision. But as the attention turns from the one seated on the throne to the Lamb of God, and so we see that worthy is the Lamb. We see a song to the slaughtered Savior. should come as no surprise to you if you are part of evangelical Christianity in America that we are very much a resurrection faith, uh, that we put a lot of emphasis on Jesus having been raised from the dead. And all you really need to do is look at uh, church attendance numbers on Good Friday versus Easter Sunday. Uh, there are a lot more people in churches on Easter Sunday than there are on Good Friday or even just the, the, the fact that we in evangelical Protestantism uh, don't like the crucifix of the Catholic Church. We don't like the image of Christ on the cross. We prefer the empty cross, uh, again, to signify the resurrection from the dead. And of course, that's a good and a right instinct, a good thing to emphasize. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain. We are still dead in our sins. We might as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die if Christ has not been raised from the dead. But we are often tempted to, in our rush to get to Easter Sunday, in our rush to get to the resurrection, to kind of gloss over the crucifixion. And we might bring it up when we talk about the forgiveness of sins or redemption, uh, but otherwise we, we like to focus much more on the victory of, of Easter Sunday, and we almost view the crucifixion as a defeat. Well, Revelation chapter 5 does not allow us to think that. It does not allow us to think of the cross as a defeat. Uh, there are many passages in the New Testament that emphasize the victory of the cross, but Revelation chapter 5 is one of them. And so follow along with me as I read Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides. Sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne, and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. 
and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also of the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. They said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Last week in Revelation chapter 4, we saw that the primary feature, the primary focal point of that chapter was the throne of God. Here in chapter 5, although it's not even mentioned, whereas the word throne is mentioned frequently in Revelation chapter 4 and even here into Revelation chapter 5, the primary focal point of Revelation chapter 5 isn't even mentioned, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the cross that the chapter 5 of Revelation that, that John sees in this vision, the cross of Jesus Christ is what takes center stage. And the, the point is that all of the things that we see here that are true about Jesus, about the second person of the Trinity, are true because of the cross. And he specifically emphasizes three aspects of Jesus here in this chapter that should give us certain comfort in uncertain times. Just as the fact that God is seated on the throne in chapter 4 should give us comfort so the cross of Jesus Christ should give us comfort. And John gives us three reasons why. And the first is that through the cross, Jesus reigns. Through the cross, Jesus reigns. Chapter 5 begins where chapter 4 left off, with God on the throne. And yet John now sees not just one seated on the throne, but he sees in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. And there, of course, is a lot of uh, uncertainty and debate uh, really throughout church history as to what exactly this scroll is. And so we're not going to spend a ton of time uh, focused on what the scroll is. Again, you can go to There's a lot of good commentaries, a lot of good books uh, that will list all the options for you. Uh, what we want to focus on really is what we know from the book of Revelation. And we don't want to focus on all the symbols that we can't interpret. We want to focus on what the book actually tells us, what we can know, because that is what gives us comfort. And we can be distracted from the comfort that we should, we should have through this book by getting distracted by all the symbols. But the fact that this scroll is in the right hand of the one seated on the throne, and the fact that they cannot find anyone worthy to take this scroll and open it, or even to look at the scroll, means that this scroll has something to do with God's reign over the earth. 
And I do believe that although in chapter six through eight, the scroll is kind of going to kind of going to take center stage and we're going to see judgments be poured out on the earth as each seal on the scroll is broken. This scroll is much more than just judgments. Uh, the fact that no one is worthy to open the scroll except for the Lamb of God. The fact that it is in God's right hand, the hand of power and authority, seems to indicate that this scroll has something to do with God's administration of the earth, most likely specifically his plan for redemption, since it is redemption that takes center stage in this chapter. And so this scroll has something to do with God's rule over the earth. And so the fact that it is Jesus, it is the Lamb of God who is the only one worthy to take this scroll, the only one worthy to look at it, the only one worthy to break the seals, shows that Jesus is the one through whom God reigns over the earth. Similarly, we see that Jesus is described as the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and that he has conquered. And it is the fact that he has conquered that makes him able to open the scroll and its seven seals. David, of course, is the primary king that the Old Testament focuses on, the king that foreshadows the messianic king. And so the fact that Jesus has come up, that he is the root of David, he is the one who will rule in the lineage of David. And of course, as the Lion of Judah, David was from the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah was the one given the authority to rule. And the lion, of course, uh, even in our culture, is the king of the jungle. The lion is a symbol of, of authority and of might. And so Jesus is positioned as the one who reigns over the earth because of the cross, as, as we'll go on to see. Because it's not just that Jesus kind of takes this scroll, the, the fact that he has conquered and so he's, he's allowed to open, he's worthy to open the scroll and the seals. But as you read through Revelation 5, he is worshipped right alongside the one on the throne. In chapter 4, we saw the one seated on the throne worshipped because he is the one who reigns because he is the one who sits on the throne, because he is the one who created all things and by whose will all things exist and were created. And here we see the same ones who worshiped God on his throne in chapter four now fall down before the lamb and ascribe to him the same worship. And so they worship him. They ascribe to him power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And similarly, every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on, to, on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. The point that John is making, the emphasis that he saw as he looked at this vision in the throne room of God is that the Lamb of God rules alongside the one on the throne. And so that is the transition point from chapter 4 into chapter 5. In chapter 4, our comfort was that God is seated on the throne. As we turn the page into chapter 5, we are comforted with the fact that Jesus is right there. And Jesus, because of the cross, is reigning alongside 
God the Father. And so through the cross, Jesus reigns. Secondly, we see that through the cross, Jesus redeems. Through the cross, Jesus redeems. This, of course, is the the focal point of the chapter. In verse 9, the living creatures and the elders fall down before the Lamb, and they They come and they worship him. They have a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sing to the lamb, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood. So this is the the focal point of of the chapter that this lamb of God was slaughtered. And notice that In this song in verse 9, the the living creatures and the elders say that it is because Jesus was slaughtered and purchased people for God by his blood that he is worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. And of course, earlier, as we saw in verse 5, the elder had told John that uh, the Lion of Judah had conquered and so he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And those two thoughts are parallel. And so we see what it means that Jesus is the lion from the tribe of Judah that conquered. And as we saw way back in the first session, in the first episode of the study in Revelation, that it is through the cross that Jesus conquers. And so when the elder comes and tells John, look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered, John looks, he looks to see this Lion of Judah, but he does not see the Lion of Judah. He sees the Lamb of God. He sees one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne. And so it is through the cross, it is through the Lamb of God being slaughtered that the Lion of Judah conquers. This is what it means for Jesus to conquer. It is not this image that we so often get that Jesus was kind and gentle and loving in his first coming, but in his second coming, he's going to come and he's just going to ravage everybody and kill all of his enemies and put all these people to death. It's not as that meme that I've mentioned before that I see on Facebook being shared by Christians that Jesus is coming back and he's pissed. That is not the image of Jesus that John sees as he's given this vision And again, this vision in chapter 4 and 5 is what John needs to see in order to interpret everything else that is happening throughout the rest of the book. This is his frame of reference for the remaining chapters. And so in order to understand Revelation rightly, we must understand chapters 4 and 5 rightly. And the way that Jesus conquers is through the cross The lion of the tribe of Judah is one like a slaughtered lamb. He has conquered by purchasing for God a people with his blood. And of course, if you've been around church for any amount of time, you most likely know that this idea of redemption, this idea of purchasing people with the blood of Jesus Christ is a reference to to the price that would have been on a slave's life in order to set them free. And so the way that Jesus conquers, the reason that he is worthy to open the scroll, 
the reason why he is worthy to be the one by which God administers his plan for mankind, administers his plan for the created order, is because of the cross. Because he has purchased a people for God by his blood. And this should affect the way that we read the book of Revelation. It should affect the way that we see ourselves. It should affect the way that we interact with other people. Because if this is how Jesus conquers, then why should we think that we can conquer by any other means? Christianity is not, despite what some throughout church history have have made it to be, it is not a religion that is spread by the sword. It is not even a religion that is spread by intellectual arguments, although we certainly should not be afraid of, of being intellectual and of using our brains. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But ultimately, the only way this world will ever be conquered is through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is through the cross. It is God's love for his creation and for his people evidenced in the fact that the second person of the Trinity took on human flesh, lived the perfect life that we could not live, died a brutal death in our place, and then was raised from the dead. It is the fact that he shed his blood for us. And it is that love of God shown through Jesus Christ. It is, that is how he conquers. And we do see that in the fact that when John is told to look at the lion, he sees the lamb. The Puritan Thomas Goodwin on verses five and six is, uh, John is told to look at the lion and sees a lamb. Goodwin says, John had heard of Christ as a lion, but he sees him as a lamb. So many a poor soul is afraid of him till it comes to see him and be acquainted with him. But he in the end will be found to be a lamb and a lamb that hath seven eyes to run to and fro through the earth for the good of his saints and seven horns not to hurt them, but to defend them and to butt his and their enemies. Therefore, let not your thoughts of Christ be all as of a lion. For though he hath the courage and strength of a lion, yet he hath the meekness of a lamb too unto you who therefore have cause to wonder at and praise this mixture in him. Yes, Jesus reigns and that is the comfort, but he reigns because he redeems. It is through the cross that he has purchased a people for God by his blood and it is through the cross that he reigns. Notice that John did not just see one like a slaughtered lamb. He saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne. And so Jesus is reigning because of the cross, because he has redeemed a people for God by his blood. And so Jesus, through the cross, Jesus reigns, and through the cross, Jesus redeems. And thirdly, through the cross, Jesus renews. Through the cross, Jesus renews. In verse 9, the living creatures and the elders fall down before the Lamb, and they sang a new song. 
In the ancient world, a new song was often reserved for a new temple. Uh, As a new temple was erected to a god, uh, new songs would be written to celebrate that god, to worship that god in that new temple. And so the fact that this new song is being sung is indicative of the fact that it is worship in a new temple. And of course, although no temple is mentioned, uh, there, there is temple imagery that we saw uh, even last week, the fact that there was that glass sea before the throne that was very reminiscent of the, the bronze basin that the priests would have purified themselves in as they approached the throne of God in the temple. And so there is this idea that there's a new temple and thus new worship and a new song being sung. I've mentioned before that back in Genesis 1 and, and 2, uh, we see not only creation, but we see really the, uh, the creation of a cosmic temple, that God was creating in creation a place where he would dwell with his creation, that they would worship him. And so we see very much temple language, and yet in the middle of the temple where there normally would have been an image, an idol to the God who was worshipped there, we don't find an idol, but we do find an image. We see man, uh, Adam and Eve, man and woman created in the image of God. And so we see the temple laid out mimicking creation because creation was meant to be a temple. And we see that what is happening here in Revelation chapter 5 is not just a new worship. It is not Uh, just this new people being created, but it is very much the renewal of the created order. And so they sing a new song uh, to the Lamb because He is worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because He was slaughtered and purchased a people for God by His blood. Uh, But then He purchased a people from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. What you see is really a new creation. Uh, You see through the cross of Jesus Christ, God creating a a new man, uh, a a new people out of all of the peoples in the earth and and making them what they were meant to be, a kingdom and priest to our God who will reign on the earth. They are being given the task that Adam and Eve were given to administer God's creation, to reign over it as his regents, and to to be priests to God, to stand in the gap and mediate between the created order and its creator. And of course, Adam and Eve sinned, and they did not fulfill that purpose. And yet through the cross, Jesus is now making that happen. And so you see him creating, he's being praised for creating a new people out of the many people and making them to be a kingdom and priests and having them reign on the earth as they were meant to do. And therefore, it's not shocking that as the worship in chapter 5 continues, we see man doing what he was meant to do, leading the created order in worship. And so just as in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see God on each different day creating all of the the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the, the animals on the land. And then all of those created beings at the end of the week being brought before man to be named. 
so now we see by the end of chapter 5, every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them coming and worshiping the Lamb. We see once again all of the created order being brought before man. And yet this time that man is the perfect man. It is Jesus Christ who perfectly fulfilled what we were created to be and now brings brothers and sisters along with him. And so you see mankind leading the entire created order in worship of its creator, just as we were intended to do. And so this is what we see going on in the rest of the book. What we see happening in heaven in Revelation 4 and 5 is what we see then taking place on earth in chapters 6 through 22, culminating in the new heaven and the new earth. But the chapters getting us to Revelation 21 and 22 are getting us to on earth what is taking place in heaven. The heavenly reality is breaking through and becoming the earthly reality. Just as we were taught in the Lord's Prayer to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We see God's kingdom and his will being done in chapters 4 and 5. And we see them coming to be done on earth as it is in heaven in chapters 6 through 22. We are told before anything else happens that this is what is going on in heaven. And so this is what will take place to bring that about on earth as well. God seated on his throne and the lamb like one slaughtered, reigning, redeeming, and renewing. We see him not just purchasing a new people for God with his blood, but actually making that new people and bringing that to fruition. What Adam and Eve lost in Genesis chapter 3 is now being brought to bear in chapters 6 through 22 of Revelation. But we'll miss all that if we miss chapters 4 and 5. And that's where we get ourselves so off track, is that we miss chapters 4 and 5, and so we get distracted by all kinds of symbolism in chapters 6 and 22 when we want to get into timelines and charts and trying to figure out what stands for what and, and who the Antichrist is and who the various people groups are. And we want to get all sidetracked by all the things that are there but are not the focal point. The focal point is what's taking place in chapters 4 and 5. The heavenly reality is what's important. And in chapters 6 and 22, that heavenly reality is becoming this earthly reality. And so just as our comfort in chapter 4 was that no matter what happens here on earth, no matter what we go through, God is still on the throne. Our comfort in chapter 5 is that no matter what happens here on earth, no matter what we go through, Jesus Christ through his cross is reigning, redeeming, and renewing. That his will is being done here on earth as it is in heaven. And he is bringing about here on earth what is already true in heaven. And we see that here in this chapter before we ever get to anything else. Thomas Goodwin makes this point, again, the Puritan, uh, Thomas Goodwin writing on Revelation. And he emphasizes this fact that before we ever meet 
Antichrist, before we ever meet the beast, before we ever meet the 10 kings that come up later in the book, before any of those things, we meet the Lamb. And he says, Antichrist riseth like Christ and comes with power. But what discovers him? He hath but two horns. The church needs not fear him. The Lamb hath seven horns to vindicate himself of his enemies. Fear not kings neither, though they be ten. Christ is king of kings. And fear not the devil who is a roaring lion. For Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, is stronger than he. And he will bind him sure enough for hurting of thee. And so... God really does show John, and John makes sure that we know that no matter what we face here on this earth, even if it is these ten kings who rise up in rebellion, even if it is the Antichrist, even if it is the beast, we need not fear because we have the line of the tribe of Judah, the one like a slaughtered lamb on our side. And he is, as the two quotes by Goodwin show, he is defending us with his seven horns and his seven eyes. And that is where I want to conclude our time today with that comfort, because it is very easy for us to get distracted by everything going on around us in this world. As we said last week, it can seem as though God is not in control. And so he comforts us with the fact that he is in control. And not only is he in control, he is in control by the very means in which he is taking control of our lives. Notice what it says of the seven horns and seven eyes that John sees on the one like a slaughtered lamb. It says he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And as he comforted many of the churches who were living under persecution in the seven letters, he now comforts us as well. Jesus has seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, the Holy Spirit sent into all the earth. And so Jesus sees everything. Uh, No matter what we are going through, no matter how sick we are, how much we're struggling financially, if we're being persecuted for our faith, uh, if we are in any trouble whatsoever, if we've been abused and tormented, no matter what the pain and the struggle and the hurt is, we are assured that Jesus sees it. We are assured that he knows about it. But then those seven spirits of God are also his seven horns. The spirit is the means by which he is conquering and is the means by which he is defending his people. And brothers and sisters, that spirit is the spirit that lives in those of us who have believed, who have been redeemed, by the blood that the slaughtered lamb shed, who have been made into a new people for his God from all the many people. And it is this spirit that is conquering. It is this spirit that is conquering us, that has conquered us in his love and is now renewing us day by day. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus is not just reigning and redeeming and renewing in some abstract abstract sense. He is reigning in us through his cross. He is redeeming us through his cross and he is renewing us through his cross. And this does speak into where we are on a daily basis. 
The cross of Jesus Christ is the focal point of how God is putting into effect his plans for his creation. And so church, we cannot do anything outside of the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ has to be the the focal point as we live as kingdom citizens here and now, as we go through our suffering day by day, as we deal with pandemics, as we deal with divisions in our culture along racial and socioeconomic boundaries, as we walk out our Christian life in our families and in our workplaces and in our society. It is the cross of Jesus Christ through which God is conquering and ruling his creation. We are not given uh, weapons of warfare other than the cross of Jesus Christ, other than the gospel, that the one who is seated on the throne took on human flesh, was slaughtered that his blood might purchase a people, and that by his spirit he is now recreating a new man, a new Adam, and a new creation. And this is already the heavenly reality. Chapters 4 and 5 are not something that happens in the future. It is the heavenly reality. And chapters 6 through 22 assure us that heavenly reality is becoming the earthly reality. And this is what we will keep tucked away in the back of our mind as we look at the rest of the book. And we're not going to look at timelines and charts and try and speculate on who the Antichrist is. But rather, we are going to look at the events of chapter 6 through 22 through the lenses of God on the throne and the cross of Jesus Christ.